Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. You're still digging this Romans stuff, right? And this whole thing about you being saved and, you know, having freedom. That's, yeah? It's pretty good, huh? It's a pretty good message. This is good news, isn't it? I like good news. Romans is the most comprehensive expression of theology in the entire Bible, and we get to study it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Some call this the gospel according to Paul. This is the grace of God revealed. Faith, hope, and love, all resonating themes as Paul writes to the church in Rome. God's righteousness, our iniquity, And God's remedy, he's got a remedy for it, you see. And it's grace. Up until this point, through the first five chapters in Paul's letter, he has made it abundantly clear that justification is assigned righteousness to us. You have been assigned as righteous before the living God. And that is considered justification, and it is accomplished by faith alone. Faith alone, not by works, lest any man should boast. He has also made it clear that this has been accomplished while we were still yet sinners. As a matter of fact, you here today who have put your faith and trust in Jesus that the cross was enough, that because the tomb was empty, he lives and you now live in him. And because of that, although you have been assigned righteousness, you still are aware of an of a unfortunate fact that sin does still reside in the flesh you're walking around in. This uh, space suit, as it were. You know, that's... What I'm looking at right now, that's not really you. You do know that, right? A day will come where you will be transfigured and you'll have an eternal body, a body that does not age, a body that does not get sick, and a body that does not die. That's you. That's what your spirit man was made to live in unity with, not this. So here we are. We have been made righteous while we were yet sinners. So how, how can he accept us while we still retain our sin nature? A holy God who cannot entertain the presence of unholiness. Why is God holy? I'll ask you this question. Why is God holy? Well, let me ask you this. I think this is an easy way to understand it. Do you think that God should be okay with somebody taking advantage of you? Lying to you, cheating you, stealing from you? Do you think God should be okay with that? No, of course not. He wouldn't be holy if he was, right? Do you think he should let you do that to other people and be okay with that? He wouldn't be a holy God if he were. That's why... God, being holy, can't do sin, you understand. He can't, he can't, if he allowed a little bit of it or made an excuse even that much for you, then he's not holy anymore. So how can he accept us while we still retain our sin nature in this flesh? How does he disengage us from that nature? This is the question that Paul takes on in the next chapter. Before we begin chapter 6, though, so open your Bibles to chapter 6. Let the Bible pages rip. Don't really rip them. I mean, you know. Before we begin chapter 6, I want us to have an understanding of the terminology that we're going to be using a lot today, okay? And really a terminology that is an overarching theme for all of chapter 6 and will continue to be in chapter 7 as well. How many in here, let me ask you another question. I'm going to get you guys talking today, all right? How many in here know that they're saved? 
I don't think that was everybody. <laughs> We're changing gears. This is now an uh, evangelistic event. How many in here know that they're saved? Yes. Let heaven hear you. How many know? Yes. How many know that they are also being saved right now? Okay. How many know that you also will be saved one day? Yes. What am I talking about, right? Can I see our first graphic today? We have to understand something about salvation, the tenses of salvation. There are tenses of salvation. What am I talking about? Well, there's a past tense. This is what you have already experienced. Jesus has already paid the penalty on the cross 2,000 years ago. It's already happened. Now you have been separated from the penalty of sin. Paul has declared it again and again. You are justified by your faith in his work. Not your work, his work. The present tense of salvation is this. It is separation now from the power of sin that is also for you right now. That is the process called sanctification. If you want to just get down to the Greek definition, it means you're called to a higher, uncommon purpose now. You are separated and continuing to be separated from the power of sin, although in your flesh you might not actually be separated from it yet. The future tense of sin is the separation from the even the very presence of sin, and that is yet to come. That is glorification. That is one day, either by natural death or by the rapture, you will be absent from this body of death. And you'll be transfigured. And you'll be as you were intended to be, as Adam was in the garden before he fell. Justification is for us. Sanctification is in us, you see. Justification declares the sinner is righteous. You are righteous. Chuck, you're righteous. God looks at you. He sees a righteous man. Sanctification makes the sinner righteous. It's a process. Justification removes the guilt and the penalty of sin. Sanctification removes the growth and the power of the sin in you. And it doesn't happen overnight. As a matter of fact, you'll never stop being sanctified until the day you breathe your last mortal breath. In this flesh, even Paul, the great apostle Paul, right? What I don't want to do, I do. And what I do want to do, I don't do. Who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to our Lord Jesus Christ, who rules and reigns. Understanding this concept now, Let's begin with Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Preposterous, right? The thought that Paul argues here uh, is one that suggests, let me break it down for you, the greater the sin of one, man or woman, the greater the sin of one, the greater the deficiency exists. Understand? The more sin I have, the more debt I have that I need Jesus to pay for. Thus, Jesus is glorified more when I sin more or my sin is greater. In other words, the more I sin, the more I need a Savior. Thus, the more he saves, and the more he saves, the more he is glorified for saving. Basically, I'm going to appreciate him more if he pays off a million-dollar debt for me than if it were only a couple of hundred bucks, right? So I might as well then bust out my sin and credit card. Glory be to God. Huh? Now, if you're thinking, who would actually think like that? Have you met us? For real. 
Have you met us? If we, if we can talk ourselves into anything or out of anything, we will, especially if it gratifies us in any way, if it gratifies us, obviously, physically, if it gratifies us emotionally, if it builds our pride, whatever it is, we will, if there's a way we can make an excuse for it and figure it out, <laughs> don't, put your, that, don't put that past yourself, Okay. Consider the Apostle Paul, the very one who is writing this letter. Before his conversion, he was running around Israel persecuting and killing Christians, and he had convinced himself that he was doing it for God. So shall we do that? Shall we just run up the bill? I mean, ultimately, you've seen it before, right? The biggest sinner that you know suddenly gets saved and it's the real deal. That gets your attention. You're like, wow, God is good. I thought that, was, I thought that guy was a goner, right? So let's just rock it up and let God be glorified. What does Paul say? Verse 2, he says, Certainly not. In the King James translation, it says, God forbid. In the Greek word, a closer translation would be, may it never be. May it never be. How shall we who died to sin, that's you, we, who died to sin, and in the Greek here, this is an aoristic uh, past tense for died. It means once and for all, and it suggests a specific point when the action occurred. And when did it occur? At salvation, you died to sin. How can we who died to sin live any longer in it? He does something to us when we are saved. He does something to us when we are saved so that we can't just sin carelessly anymore. You know what I'm talking about if, if you've experienced this. Something has happened to our basic nature, hasn't it? Something has happened to our basic nature. You can still sin. Of course, you're well aware of that, right? But you cannot rest in it any longer. You're just not good with it anymore. You do it. For whatever reason, carelessness, indulgence, whatever it is, you do it and it bothers you, doesn't it? You can't rest in it. And it doesn't have anything to do with some vow that you've made, okay? It doesn't. But it is because of what God has done in you when you believe and he sealed your heart with the promised Holy Spirit. The world, you see, the world doesn't understand this. After you've gotten saved, your friends in the world, they just don't get it, right? Well, why can't you? Well, why can't you? Yeah, but Jesus forgives you now, right? Right, all that? Well, why? they don't understand it. Well, mainly because they don't want to understand it, but mainly because it's completely contrary to man's thinking. Justify does not mean, hear me now, justify does not mean to make you good, Okay? It assigns Jesus' goodness to you. It does not mean to make you good, or this question would be completely inappropriate. Chuck Missler says this. He says this. I just have always loved this quote of his. Can we see that? Jesus Christ did not die to make bad men good. You have to understand this. He died to make dead men live. Verse 3. Or do you not know, Paul says, that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Do you not know? This is a past tense in the Greek. It means, in other words, are you continuing to not know? That as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death, anyone who can argue that, like that, Paul says, anyone who can argue like that, that we should just keep sinning, that he'll be glorified all the more. Anyone who argues like that, Paul says, shows that they have not begun to understand the gospel. This makes me think of a, a post that I saw on sp uh, social media uh, yesterday by a pastor friend of mine. Um, I think it's incredibly relevant to the conversation and the culture in which we live. Can we see that on the screen? When that offends me, replaces that convicts me, in church, we're in real trouble. 
We're in real trouble. But I want to take a, a, a minute to look at this a little bit closer. Do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, we're also baptized into his death? I want to, I want to pause here for a moment because what does that mean to be baptized? What does that mean to be baptized, right? There's a lot of confusion over baptism in church, so let's just take this on for a second. What does baptized into his death mean? Well, it's pretty simple, really. In apostolic times, baptisms appears to, baptism appeared, appears to have followed immediately upon confession of faith in Christ. So, for example, if anybody here uh, gets Gives their heart and their faith, puts their faith in Jesus Christ, and makes a confession to us today. We like, I mean, like today. There's a fountain out there. We're getting in it. (laughs) That's how they did it. You know, now we plan months out, and you know, nothing wrong with that because we want family to come and all that. You know, but back then, you confess, you confess your faith in Jesus Christ today. You let us know. We're baptizing you on the spot. So it wasn't viewed as a separate thing from when you got saved. It was just something that you reactionarily did as a commitment, a showing to others of what you now believe. So not a separate experience as some denominations or doctrines or even cults present it to be. The New Testament, we have to understand, consistently denies baptismal regeneration. You're not getting saved when you go under the water, okay? Some denominations want to teach that. You get saved by faith. If it was by baptism, that would be a work. That would be something you had to do, right? The thief on the cross would be screwed, okay? Seriously, he would be in big trouble because... He wasn't going to get down into a body of water anytime soon, right? Yet where was he on that same day? In paradise, with Jesus. So baptism is a public testimony to an already accomplished spiritual work. I remember when we were uh, pastoring a church in Arkansas, there was a lot of this bad teaching in that area in northeast Arkansas. And we, did, we had a little pond out behind our church building so I think it might have been one of our first baptisms. I, we baptized about 23 people. You know, we had 10 on the books and 13 more wanted to jump in. That's how it usually goes, right? <laughs> and I'll never forget, because there was a lot of legalism and bad teaching in the area. One particular girl who had given her heart to, life, to, her heart to God and um, truly was transforming her life. Uh, I went to dunk her. And I slipped a little bit, and just this little top part of her head didn't get all the way under the water. And somebody shouted out and said, she didn't get all the way under Dunker again. (laughs) It's like, oh, my gosh. I just went ahead and did it. I didn't think that was a time for a theological conversation. But as if because she didn't go all the way under, the salvation and transformation hadn't happened, right? So... There is confusion around the phrase also, uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit. And confusion persists due to the terminology or labeling uh, for the infilling of the Holy Spirit here, okay? There are actually six passages uh, that refer that refer specifically to this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Can I see them? I've got a list for you in case you want to take a picture, write them down and do a study on this. Romans 6, obviously. Galatians 3. 25 through 26, Ephesians 4, Colossians chapter 2, 1 Peter 3, 1 Corinthians 12. Of all of these passages that speak specifically on the filling uh, or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 is the only place the baptism of the Holy Spirit is defined in the Word of God. So let's take a look at that real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 reads, for by one spirit were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So we were all baptized, he says. This is the aorist tense, 
once and for all, in other words. We were all baptized. And when did that happen? When you believed. The passive voice in the Greek here, which means uh, the subject received the action. When? When you believed. We have to understand this. There is no Christian, no Christian that hasn't been baptized by the Holy Spirit. It's not you become a Christian and then later you're filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, okay? If you're a believer, when you believe, your heart is sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit. He is in you now. That's why uh, you're convicted, not offended, right? Uh, This is not to be confused, though, by the way, with the filling of the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled for strength sometimes, right? When Jesus went into the desert, he says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? He was going on a 40-day fast. He was going to be tempted by Satan. He was filled for strength. A lot of times the Holy Spirit will fill us to give us strength, comfort, whatever. Uh, So we need not to confuse the two because we need to be filled for strength, or to, to accomplish an assignment, right? I mean, if you want to be honest, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day just to get through it. Amen? So, Lord, give me your strength. I need an extra. I need, I need the Holy Spirit strength today. Help me, Lord. Lord Jesus, I need wisdom on this decision. Holy Spirit, give me the gift of wisdom. Lord Jesus, I need discernment. Fill me with the presence of your presence and discernment, Lord. We understand? The bottom line is this. When someone puts their faith in Jesus, their former existence comes to an end. And we have to understand this or you're not going to understand what Paul is talking about in the following verses. When someone puts their faith in Jesus, their former existence comes to an end. A new life has begun. They would then, in the uh, early church, they uh, they would go under the water to symbolize that they were, in fact... In fact, buried with Christ, they had died as far as their old life of sin was concerned and raised with Christ when they emerged from the water. Now that you're united with Jesus by faith, his death has become your death. Your old self has been crucified on his cross. Your old self that didn't have the power and presence of the Holy Spirit within you. Your unregenerated self has been nailed to the cross. Do you not know this? Are you continuing to not know this? Paul asks. In other words, how could we carry on as we did before when that old self is literally dead? And you demonstrated that that has happened to you when you were baptized. Verse 4. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Should walk. I underlined that one for you guys, because this implies that we can We can. The word should, though, also implies that we don't always, doesn't it? Still, Paul instructs us that we should. Thus, the process of sanctification is in view. And can I see that list of tenses again? The tenses of of salvation. Past tense, justification. Present tense, sanctification. The process, the process of separating from the power that sin has over you. Sanctification begins, it begins with regeneration. When you are born again, when you are born again of faith, of spirit, the process begins and it continues as the spiritual life grows within the believer. And I think most of us, especially if you've known the Lord a long time and you've walked with him for a long time and you've tried to honor and listen to the Holy Spirit within you, you haven't shut your ears to it, right? 
So there are times we do, and we reap a whirlwind for it. But we've learned not to do that. And as we, the longer we live our lives and the, the more accustomed we get to hearing him, the more accustomed we get to obeying him and doing what he's telling us to do, the more our spiritual life grows within us. This is the process. But from that starting point of salvation, sanctification is God progressively, progressively separating a believer from sin to himself, transforming his life towards holiness, towards purity, and towards purpose. The process of sanctification for a believer, it never, ever ends while in this mortal body on earth. It is ultimately consummated in glorification when that believer through death and and resurrection or through the rapture stands in the presence of God, conformed, as Romans chapter 8 will tell us, conformed to the likeness of his Son. However, and this is big, this is key, I want you to take this piece home with you today, okay? This process of sanctification, it isn't just blindly wandering through life, okay? The Holy Spirit is leading us and guiding us, okay? But for us to successfully navigate We need three attitudes, and Paul will go over, will now be outlining the three attitudes that you need to have in the next verses from uh, verse 5 through 23. Can we see that next graphic? Three necessary attitudes of sanctification. He'll say you need to reckon, you need to consider, okay? Do not yield, serve. Justification declares us holy. Sanctification makes us holy. You'll see what this means as we move forward. Take a screenshot of that or write it down as we move forward. We'll come back to it here in a minute. Verse 5. For if, and that's a bad translation on the word if, by the way. It should say since, okay? For since we have been united together, because if it's if we've been united, no, we know we've been united together, right? Since we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly, and I love, I love anytime Paul uses that language, right? Certainly, that means it is a fact, a known fact. It is certain, certainly, We also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So we are like him in his death as we demonstrate through our baptism. Certainly then, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6. Knowing this, and this is present tense in the Greek, it means keep on knowing something. Knowing this, continue to know this, that our old man was crucified with him. That the body of sin might be done away with. And this word in the Greek for the done away with is, uh, in some translations, uh, uh, it says other than, uh, uh, other than done away with, it uses different words. The, the, the true definition is the word ketargio. It means to make of none effect to be paralyzed or canceled or nullified. From the mouths of babes comes perfect praise. (laughs) Amen. Amen, little one. So knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, the body of sin might be of no effect or paralyzed, or the body of sin might be nullified, or you could say that the body of sin has been rendered powerless. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. Amen? The old self, church, your old self is rendered powerless because of our union with Christ and his death. Powerless. I am no longer a slave to sin. Say that. I am no longer a slave to sin. Shout it out. Let heaven hear you. I am no longer a slave to sin. Never again. 
I'm not a slave to sin anymore. It's a choice. Can I sin? Yeah. Do I sin, which in the Greek means to miss the mark? Do I fall short of attaining the standard that the Holy Spirit has given me and I myself desire to uphold? Yeah. I do. But when I do, it's a choice. And in counseling, I'll often tell people, set yourself up for success. That's why friends matter. That's why circumstances matter. Sin is now a choice. You're not its slave anymore. You don't have to do what we often do. The old nature still exists as described in Romans chapter 5. Paul did a great job of that, but it is helpless, ungodly, rebellious, and it is an enemy of God. But guess what? It's not in charge anymore. Amen? Verse 7, Paul says, For he who has died has been freed from sin. Sin here is singular, referring to the old sin nature, free from that sin nature. If you are dead with Christ, then the old self need not dominate anymore. You hear me? The old self needs not to dominate anymore. New life is his goal. New life is his goal for you. It is a fact. You have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ that he is who he says he is, that he has done for you what he says he has done, and you trust that and believe that. Your heart is sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 1, and you are now a different person. You're just different. We are accepted now. We are beloved of God now. That's who you are. And you you have to understand this. The moment you're saved... Regardless of where you are in your journey of sanctification, whether starting out and you're still tripping over your feet, trying to get your life right, or you're 20 years in, and you don't necessarily struggle with the sin that you used to. Regardless of where you are on that journey, you have to understand that you are never more accepted, and you will never be more accepted than you are right now. Because Jesus' sacrifice paid it all, and it's by faith alone, not works. Whether you just gave your heart to Jesus this morning in worship, or you've been following the Lord for 20 years, you're on an even par with anybody else. You're accepted. You're a member of the family. You're beloved, and you belong. And that's where we stand. Verse 8. For if, or rather, since... For since we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Verse 9. Knowing. You notice as we read, there's a lot of knowing, knowing this, knowing that. Do you not know? He's really talking about our head knowledge here, isn't he? Knowing, verse 9, that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. You have to understand this. He dies no more. This stands in opposition to the perpetual sacrifice practice of the Catholic Mass. He's not dying eternally and forever. He dies no more. Paul tells us right here. Death no longer has dominion over him. That's good news. You know why? Because now death no longer has dominion over you. Death no longer has dominion over him. Verse 10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. This throws a big wrench into that false teaching that says, you better get back up here and get saved again, right? You had a a rowdy Friday night, didn't you? You've beaten yourself up pretty bad in the mirror, but boy, you wouldn't want to stand before Jesus right now. Better get up here and get saved again. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. The death he died, he died once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God now. The glorified Christ says, I am he that liveth. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, he says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive evermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Amen. Woo! About to get Pentecostal up here this morning. I'm feeling it. 
I might dance. I might do the Trump dance. Oh, Lord. <laughs> That's actually how I dance, so. I was watching Trump, and I was like, that guy can dance. Oh, church. Verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon, and there's our first attitude, reckon In other words, consider or keep on considering, keep on counting it to be true, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Consider yourselves dead to sin. This is no game of make-believe, okay? This is not imagine you're dead to sin, you know. It's no vain exercise. It is morally fruitful. The Holy Spirit has come to make effective within you what Christ has done for you. Verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign. Don't let it reign. Do you hear, Paul? Do not... Let sin reign, present imperfect in the Greek. Do not let sin continue to reign in your mortal body. And there we see our second attitude, do not yield. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. Don't let it reign. Stop it. You don't have to. You're free from it. You are in control now, you see. It's your choice now. You know, I, uh, my, one of my favorite uh, pieces of advice that my big brother ever gave me, I went to him, and he's big into health and fitness and stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah. I said to him, I just need to be more disciplined with working out and my diet. I just need to be more disciplined. And he said, then be more disciplined. I was like, <laughs> it was right there the whole time. It was so obvious. That's it. Don't let sin reign. Do you want to be more disciplined? Be more disciplined. Because you know why? Sin does not have reign over you anymore. It's a choice. Chuck Missler says this. He says, The Christian life is not trying to become what you're not. Some of you need to hear this. It's not trying to become what you're not. The Christian life is experiencing what you are in Christ. That's what it is. That's all it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21 will forever be my favorite scripture. I'm just going to read 17 and 21 for time's sake. Can we see verse 17? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? Brand new. That's you. The old you is dead. The old you that existed without the presence of the Holy Spirit in your heart, your ungenerated self, is gone. You're not coming back. You're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And verse 21, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen? Verse 13. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present, he means do it immediately, yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments. And this word is cool in the Greek because it's from a military context, so it means weapons or tools. As your, your members as weapons or tools of righteousness to God. You are weapons or tools of righteousness. That's what you are. Trust me, he will put you to work to accomplish his will if you will submit yourself to him. I can assure you of that. If you're willing to serve in whatever way, get your ideas out of your head. I always talk about the chalkboard. 
right, where I draw what my life should be and I thought it should be this and I wouldn't do anything else until I just erased it and said, hey, all right, God, you take the pen, right? Write what my life should be, I'll just do that. You know, he knows better for you what's going to make you happy than you do. If you want to work for the kingdom of God, submit yourself. Don't care what it is he's going to have you do. Do it. He'll use you. He'll put you to work. Whatever way, he, whatever way is his will to do. That is a good plug for Sunday school teachers. <laughs> Sunday school teachers. Yep. All right. Why did I sing that? All right. <laughs> Verse 14. Verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. You listening? For you are not under law, but you are under grace. Under the law, the punishment for sin is, but you are under grace, not law. Sin has no claim on you anymore. Mm. You are only tempted now by what is common to man, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And guess what? When you are tempted by only what is common to man, he will provide a way for you to escape as well. Hmm? Verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Now, who would actually think that, right? Have you met us? Again, to treat being under grace as an excuse for sinning is a sign that one is really not under grace at all. Paul says again, certainly not. God forbid. May it never be. Paul's repeating this phrase implies that anyone who talks like this has not the slightest inkling of what divine grace is. Verse 16. Do you not know, we have to hurry, do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether, the sin, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. There is no middle ground. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Verse 17, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart. Don't let that be lost in you. That's why I underlined it. Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. The victory, the victory is in your heart because it's by faith. Verse 18, and guess what? When you have faith, something happens to that heart, verse 18, and having been set free from sin, or say, say it this way, having been liberated from the tyranny of sin, you became slaves to righteousness. The word, uh, the word slaves here is doulos in the Greek, and it means bond slaves. Forever serving their master is what it entails. Your new nature, church, God, hear me, your new nature will always desire to follow God. And you're no longer slaves to that sin nature. The choice is yours now. Your new nature will always desire to follow God. Following your old self will only result in misery. Verse 19. Let's read it through. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. In other words, in case you fail to grasp my meaning, he's saying, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. This is the third attitude of service, to serve. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You could choose righteousness, right? But you didn't have to. Verse 21, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? Well, I can tell you what the fruit was. You did things that you were ashamed of, right? That's what. For the end of those things is death. Verse 22, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Last verse, 23. 
For the wages of sin is death. The phrase wages here is pretty cool here because in the Greek, it's the Greek word obscenion, and it originally meant a soldier's pay. So you see Paul's tone as a military man again. For your soldier's pay of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so the choice is yours, life or death. As Paul eloquently lays it out. I think a good summary was F.F. Bruce who wrote this. He said this. Can we see it on the screen? He said, those who are justified are now being sanctified. Those who have no present experience of being sanctified have no reason to suppose that they have been justified. That's all there is to it. If you have been saved and justified, you are being sanctified, and the Holy Spirit is leading your heart, bringing you conviction, not offense, leading you to become who you will be forever. You're becoming now who you will be forever, and that's really the whole point of this life. You know, 78 years is the average lifespan in the United States uh, today. Also happens to be the average age of someone who dies from COVID, interestingly. Uh, <laughs> true. But uh, that's a teardrop in the ocean of eternity. It is. Guys, we are here for a brief moment of time to believe by faith, to truly know love by choice. And thus, to know him in a way we'll never get the opportunity to do again. We're becoming now who we will be forever. We need to not take this life so flippantly as if that's not what's really happening here. I think a lot of people don't realize that's what's happening here. And I see those three necessary attitudes. I'm going to leave you with these necessary attitudes <laughs> one more time. Reckon, consider yourselves dead to sin. It has no reign over you. Do not yield to it any longer and serve the Holy Spirit that guides you into his perfect will. Amen? Justification declares us holy. Sanctification makes us holy. Love, joy, and peace mark the lives of those who have been justified by faith and are yielding to the Holy Spirit in the process of sanctification. The guilty past has been canceled. The glory of the future is assured. And here, in the present, in this present, right now, we have the power of the Spirit to secure every believer and the grace that we need to endure trials, to resist evil, and to live listen to me, to live as benefactors of those whom God has made righteous. That is you. For God declares men righteous. I will invite Pat forward. He could. God declares men righteous, not by faith as the procuring cause, for the blood of Christ was that, not by faith is the putting forth of a work either, much less by the keeping of a divine commands, however holy and just they might have been. Now God declares man righteous out of reliance upon his own word as true and that alone. Amen. With every eye closed and every head bowed. If you're here today and the Holy Spirit is laying something on your heart, whatever it is, I'm not going to stand up here and guess. If he's leading you into conviction, if he's leading you away from offense, if he's leading you to, to die to some things in your life. Maybe the old man in the old life has been doing too much of the leading. And the new man or woman needs to step forward. If you're asking for growth in hearing the Holy Spirit and growth in obeying that voice when you hear him, whatever it is, if that's you here this morning, you need to lay something down at the feet of, feet of Christ. Raise your hand right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
Thank you, thank you. Oh, just too many to count. God is so good. <clears throat> You're his, you know that. You're his child. He loves you. He's brought you to this point in your life for a reason. He's not surprised by this day. He's not surprised by your growth or lack of growth or whatever you want to consider yourself to be. You arrived today right on time. And he is right on time. And he loves you and he will strengthen you. He will enable you. He will provide a way of escape out for you. He'll give you boldness if you need that. Whatever it is, pray for boldness. Pray for escape. Pray for courage and circumstances. Whatever it is, lift it up right now, church, in your hearts. Pray to him. Lay it down at the feet of Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness. We thank you for your Holy Spirit leading and filling, God, the strength you give us, the discernment you give us. We thank you for your word, your word that is truth, Father, your word that cuts through the lies and cuts through the, the deception of the enemy, the misleading of the enemy, God. We thank you that your word purges, God. It purges untruth like, a, like, like gold through a fiery furnace. Only the truth remains, Lord when tested by your word and by your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus. Continue to lead us into all truth, knowledge, insight, and wisdom, God. Give us strength and boldness for the day that we live in, Lord, and give us encouragement and give us joy in our hearts, Father. Let us celebrate and laugh from the gut, Father. Let us rejoice. Jumping for joy, as your word says that you are who you say you are, that your word is true, that you're faithful, and the promises that you have for us are true, that soon we'll be glorified, Lord Jesus, as we take on your likeness and are one with you someday soon and always, Lord Jesus, continue to grow us in sanctification, making us more like you, leading us evermore into the purpose that you have for our lives and great joy along with it. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, if you're here this morning and you're saying a prayer of recommittal or salvation for the first time, putting your trust in him, everybody in this room, let's say this out loud. Say, Jesus, I believe you're God. I believe that you love me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And that payment was enough. My debt is canceled. I believe you rose from the grave on the third day. I believe you live, and I live with you. Come into my heart, Holy Spirit. Seal it. Make me a new creation. Walk with me all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Go before you, follow after you, walk alongside of you. May you prosper in all you do in every tangible way. May you go in grace in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you guys.